Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 74th episode in a weekly series called A Very Close Call. Here with me is Avery Alex, product manager at PopCap Games. Hey. Hello. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad we finally managed to get together. <laughs> my pleasure. I'm sorry about uh, getting uh, a little bit mixed up with my hardware last week. That's okay. These things happen. Last week's episode was a discussion with Chris Fire Scott from Chocolate Lemon and 8-Bit about Evo and competitive gaming. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, July 30th, and we are going to discuss PopCap Games and learn all about Avery. So let's talk about news of the week. News of the week. This is not necessarily gaming news, but I'm interested in your opinion on this, Avery. Um, I've learned recently that Google's given a huge middle finger to the cable company by allowing you to request free fiber service in your area if you get a basic number of subscribers, which I think is 25. Right now it's only available in Kansas City, but it's pretty exciting, I think, considering that you can get a web-only gigabit internet plan for $70, which, let's see, is 14 megabits per second new fiber service, which you're usually getting 0.8 megabits with Time Warner. And I know personally where I am, Comcast is not well loved. So for gaming, I find that cable gets annoying at times. And uh, this is kind of an interesting way that they're trying to push innovation uh, and speed on that. So what do you think when this spreads out throughout the country? Do you think it's something that you'll get on board with? Or do you think it'll challenge the traditional cable companies? You know, honestly, I think that a lot of what they're proposing is kind of preposterous, but Google has a reputation for pulling off preposterous things and making it work. <laughs> okay. Like Street View, so it's a little difficult for me to say. I don't have a strong enough understanding of how they would actually make a return on the hardware investment that they need to make. Okay. Um, I guess that's what they're going to find out in Kansas City. Um, yeah, I was just saying, you know, most countries, uh, most developed countries have a stronger fiber network than the U.S., and their population centers are maybe a little bit more distributed, so... I think that it's pretty feasible to upgrade the infrastructure in the U.S., and I don't think it's going to happen on its own. So with Google lending a hand, I think it's, I think that consumers and the business sector as a whole stand nothing but uh, to gain from this. Also, uh, given that Comcast is a fellow Golden Pooh recipient, um, I, I would love to see them step up their game. Very true. Uh, I find I'm jealous of the West Coast with their uh, wireless connections everywhere and free Wi-Fi. Uh, we haven't quite made it over here to the East Coast. I don't know in Seattle if that's the case for you or not, but I would love to see the whole country have at least a basic wireless, even though it's not quite, quite as fast as, as it could be. Well, it's a good way, uh, if wireless technology keeps leapfrogging, uh, you know, bound technology, then I think it would be a good way for us to simply leapfrog the fiber era. But, I mean, you still need a fiber backbone uh, to run all of that stuff anyway. It just happens well beyond the consumer's touch. So if someone's going to get the work done, I don't really care who it is personally. <laughs> Agreed. Some news, news for Ubisoft game players, for specifically PC players. Uh, the revelation that installing the company's Uplay game management system can apparently open up your computer to malicious code insertion has upset fans and created more hoopla for the hate of DRM. And you can fix this apparently by updating your Uplay PC application as long as you don't have a web browser open to fix that plugin, or you can reinstall Uplay. So if you do have a game from Ubisoft and uh, you might want to consider closing that opening into your PC, just FYI. And uh, let's go to you. What is your exciting news of the week? Um, 
I'm a little excited about the new live-action Halo video trailer that came out, Forward Unto Dawn. Mm. Um, we've kind of been waiting for, I was talking with a friend of mine about this quite a lot last week, but uh, we've been waiting for a live-action Halo video of any real caliber uh, since rumors of Peter Jackson and Weta doing something back in 2007. There have been a couple kind of good commercials and a couple of interesting trailers that came out, but this looks like it's the first real major effort. And then it also completely caught my eye um, because it was shot where I did my undergrad studies in Vancouver. So like a lot of television shows of Battlestar Galactica and things like that, um, it's all shot in the same place. Awesome. I'm a little excited. It. Are they giving a projected date? Yeah, I think they're, come, they're planning on doing five 15-minute episodes in October. And my understanding is that, and at this point, I think this is potentially hearsay, but if you miss it, it'll be edited together into like an hour and a half long feature uh, instead of 50 minute episodes. So there should be some sort of like collective hole where you don't have to sit through trailers in between or anything. Excellent. Okay. Well, that seems something to check out. I'm not even that big a Halo fan, but it looks really well made. So I'm always excited by the live action adaptions to see uh, how true to the actual game it is and how realistic they can get the armor. <laughs> Matthew Chief looks tall. <laughs> that much is realistic. <laughs> Excellent. So let's talk about gaming a little bit and uh, find out what got you into that. If you were a gaming child or when were you first realized that you were attracted to gaming? Um, I think I saw games as a fun hobby when I was a young child, like four or five. I enjoyed playing Galaga down at the pizzeria. Um, it wasn't until I went over to my cousin's place uh, over some Christmas, I think it was, and got hooked on The Legend of Zelda and uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 that I really realized that it was something that really spoke to me and compelled me. I didn't think I'd end up working in games directly until I was an undergrad and I was studying various communication media and I realized absolutely nobody was studying video games so I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, and then from there it was a slow transition to the games industry but it started mostly because I thought games are an important way um, not only for people to consume entertainment media but also for people to form strong connections a lot of community around gaming, and that's something that I find pretty exciting. Excellent. I understand that you started at Microsoft. What was your job there, and how was the transition from that to PopCap? Well, uh, there were a few transitions that happened at Microsoft first. Okay. Uh, Take me my, through that. My first role at Microsoft was I was working as a, they call it a project manager, for the group that did kind of embedded promotions for third-party advertisers. So... Um, if you could get a free Nissan Maxima in Forza 3, our team would help handle that. I see. Okay. Things like that. Um, they also did dashboard advertising and things like that. It was a really good opportunity for me to get to know a lot of people on a lot of different teams. And in my case, uh, with a couple degrees in communication, it was a good opportunity for me to explain to someone on the phone in 60 seconds why my skill set might apply. So I figured you know, they would assume that a communication degree meant I was an advertiser or a newscaster, one or the other. Um, so it was a great first step into the games industry. From there, I kind of took my project management um, skills and, and the connections that I was able to make, and I ended up working uh, at Xbox Live, where I managed the community and events portions of the dashboard, as well as doing some UI work um, around the launch of the NXE when they redid the Xbox dashboard. Okay. So I went from the old style to the new thing with the avatars and, and that new dashboard, so I got to... Uh, I got to participate in the, in the creation of that and, and running that for a couple of years. Uh, I came over to PopCap kind of as a careful lateral step. I moved on to social games here at first because Xbox Live is very much a service and uh, social games, much more than a packaged digital product, 
really ought to be run as a service because you're constantly releasing, constantly updating. You're looking at considerations you don't normally have in a packaged retail good like user churn and re-engagement and things like that. So PopCap is looking for someone with project management and game production experience in, uh, in, a, in a service instead of a retail good. And that made for a good transition for me here. I see. Can you define some of those terms for me? I'm not familiar with user turn or I think you said re-service, something like that. Re-engagement, yeah. So yes, these, re are, these are kind of like subscription-based words, right? So churn is the number of users that you lose over a given time period. So you might, uh, if you're a cell phone provider or something like that, you might lose 1 million subscribers every month. Okay. That's your churn rate. Um, and you want to make sure that you're acquiring more users than your churn rate, otherwise you're, you're simply going to fail. Um, a better way to focus on things from a, a service perspective is just don't churn your users. Make sure that you keep them re-engaged, you get a new phone every couple of years, that's why they keep doing that. Because it's a lot easier to hold on to a user that's already built some brand loyalty than it is to bring someone new in the door. It's really expensive to do that. Uh, that's uh, the term re-engagement um, refers to anytime you get someone involved in software as a service to come back. So if you might re-engage with Facebook if you haven't logged in in a week, but then you get an email saying, hey, your friends have left you messages, come check it out. You can log back into Facebook. That's a re-engagement effort. We do the same things in games all the time. Um, it's just social games offer a little bit more opportunity to do that. And now that I'm working kind of, I work with social games at PopCap, but also with mobile games, there's starting to be a lot more, um, more re-engagement efforts there, like push messages that go out to your phone and say, hey, it's your turn I'm in words with friends. Don't forget to get back to your mother because your game's going to end in 24 hours or something like that. Right. Yes, I get some of those myself. <laughs> your pets need you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as a product manager, it seems like you have a lot of skills in marketing. What sort of things do you do other than host events uh, to try to get people interested in these things? Well, um, some of my backgrounds in marketing, not all, not all product managers, you know, uh, have a very strong marketing background. You can kind of look at the term as sort of interchangeable with the word producer. Hmm. Um, so because of my background, I'm a little bit more familiar with marketing efforts than some PMs might be. Um, when I first came on at PopCap, my role was to be one of two producers basically on our title Zuma Blitz, which was a social game. Yes. So there was, um, I was focused on everything from helping deliver back-end systems that would allow us to serve media into the game, as well as ensuring that we had good email programs connected in with a proper uh, sort of user addressability so we could determine, you know, what audience segment might fall they might fall into. So if you've hit level 7 and it took you 12 days, you're a little bit slow at it, we'll give you some tips, we'll send you some, you know, freebies and encourage you to check out this video stream that offers, you know, more behind-the-scenes and tips because you need a little helping hand. Um, so those are the kind of marketing efforts that were involved at the, uh, at the time in that. And then kind of there's obviously a lot more um, kind of tactical execution on engineering considerations as well. Um, but I have since then reorganized away from game development back into marketing. So now I work in marketing as a product manager. Okay. Well, it seems like you did a good job considering that Zuma Blitz was the winner of the IGN's Facebook Game of the Year, King of Swag. <laughs> I just think I call it the King of Swag, the Facebook Game of the Year, which is excellent. It, and uh, It was fun. I take much credit for it. It was a really, really giant, brilliant team that had done a lot of work before I started. So, Excellent. So what would you say is the difference working for PopCap versus Microsoft as far as the environment? Is one... What, just, let's just leave it open like that. 
Uh, wow, there's a lot of differences. Obviously, I think the first thing I should say is that Microsoft is such a big company, I can't say what it's like to work at Microsoft. Um, you know, with 50,000 employees and who knows how many contractors, every team can have a really different, you know, feel and culture. And Microsoft is a great place to work. Uh, they're a fantastic employer. They generally care about their employees and career progression and their families and all sorts of things a great deal. So uh, in that way, PopCap and Microsoft are very, very similar. They're really deeply invested in having long-term employees that they keep around for a long time. Um, the environment at PopCap is a little bit more quirky, a little bit more rambunctious. Uh, people tend to be relatively direct in their communication with people. So. Really? Okay. At PopCap? I'm sorry, that's yeah. some loud music happening in the background. Let it pass. <laughs> This must be the exciting portion of the question. That's right. <laughs> this is where you break out into an impromptu dance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, at PopCap, everyone is expected to have an opinion and to be direct with it. You know, you know, it's an environment in which if I have a really strong opinion of something, I can cut all the way through um, the chain, or go all the way up the ladder to the very top and go talk with someone about it and say, hey, by the way, this project I'm not involved with at all, I have some feedback and I'd like for you to hear it and they're expected to hear it and I'm expected to know what I'm talking about. Um, Microsoft is a little bit more structured and hierarchical than that probably okay. needs to be. You wouldn't want every single person, you know, going to the lead architect of Windows and saying, by the way, I used Windows last week and here's what I thought. Is uh, there a difference in number of employees? I mean, obviously Microsoft is huge. I don't know what the average uh, employee count of PopCap is, but I can imagine that it would be a little more intimate. A lot. Yeah, I think we're still growing, but I think we're at about maybe 650 people now worldwide. Um, it's been growing quite a lot, but it's still... A tiny drop in the bucket compared to the number of people working at Microsoft. Of course, now the PopCap's uh, been acquired by Electronic Arts. The difference is starting to close a little bit. Mm. Um, but uh, PopCap operates pretty strongly at this point as a satellite on our own. So okay, do you can do you suspect you'll continue to have that anonymity where you're kind of completely separate and um, you know, or do you expect there'll be some more merging with EA? Um, there's going to be more and more merging, but uh, one of the things that um, they've been very clear all the way right up to the very top, um, JR, the CEO of, of Electronic Arts, has very publicly said that they, they're going to let us integrate where and how it makes sense for us. Okay. Um, so um, the, the, the real concern there was that everybody at EA you know, was really excited to have us join the family. And the concern might be like, everybody wants to help all at the same time. And they're just going to pick us up and hug us and love us and squeeze us and call us joke. <laughs> Which isn't, you know, it's the right place to be coming from, but we still need to be careful about it. So the things that we've, you know, the, the places where we're most strongly intertwined is in things like human resources, payroll benefits, 401k, okay. you know, a lot, of, a lot of the paperwork and legal systems have been meshed, but in terms of, you know, game development, we still stand very, very much on our own. What would you say the possible benefits, I mean, you just named a few of them, probably a better plan for benefits and things like that, dealing with a larger company like EA. What other benefits do you think that PopCap will gain from that, and what do you think some of the negatives might be that you need to watch out for? Well... What I do right now is very much focused on trafficking people between titles, and uh, that's a role that has um, really grown because of the EA acquisition. So before, when we could send people saying like, hey, you just downloaded Bejeweled 3. Here's an email suggesting you might like Peggle. Go download it. Uh, not that compelling an offer, not that big an audience to reach into. Um, now that we have access to everybody who's playing an EA game, not that this would be a particularly wise idea, but we could say, you like Plants vs. Zombies? Go check out Battlefield 3 on Origin. <laughs> so there's a, 
Obviously, that's a that's an example. <laughs> Interesting comparison: plants versus zombies. <laughs> Battlefield Three. <laughs> okay. Right now, for instance, we launched a, a slot game called Lucky Gem Casino, and we gained access through the EA partnership to a bunch of Hasbro IP. So there's a Monopoly themed slot, there's a Battleships themed slot, and they've been made pop cap and fun. As far as slot games go, there's a lot of strategy involved and things like that. And then meanwhile, uh, EA is sending people from their Monopoly Millionaire's Facebook game to go check out Lucky Gem Casino's Monopoly slot. We wouldn't have had access to be able to do that before. So we, uh, you know, we're collaborating pretty closely with Maxis and the guys on the Sim teams to try our audiences back and forth. And um, so that that's one of those uh, advantages that comes with being part of a peer family. We also get access to a whole bunch of specialized skills, right? They're, they've obviously got an even bigger barrage of lawyers than Pocket ever had, and they've got a bunch of different resources. Um, so the the there's a lot of benefits that come with that kind of scale. I think the big disadvantage, and I think we've sidestepped this one, is again, it would be relatively easy to get kind of bogged down or overwhelmed uh, with efforts to integrate. Like we were forced to merge all of our email systems, and you know, and uh, merge all of our um, like IT infrastructure. That could really slow things down, but we don't have to do that. It makes sense for us. Meanwhile, we can get better rates on like middleware. We can get better rates on analytics packages and things like that because EA has already negotiated a great rate, you know, for so many licenses. So instead of negotiating for three hundred licenses, we're part of an agreement for I don't know three thousand. That makes so, sense. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, PopCap is unusual in the sense that every time I find something new about them online, they seem to be very involved in charity work, especially lately. Um, a few examples that I've seen, uh, Zombie, which is a character, for the listeners who don't know, basically dressed up in full kit, and he's running the British 10K London run in the rain uh, to raise money for Special Effect, which is a charity dedicated to helping young people with disabilities enjoy computer games. There's that. Then you have the Solitaire Blitz charity marathon. There's a, trying to break the Guinness World Record by playing Solitaire Blitz for 30 hours, which is very diehard. Uh, and it seems like all these proceeds go to to various events that uh, are very worthy, like Charity Water. Uh, can you tell me a little bit of the inspiration for why PopCap is so involved in these events and uh, and what's driven them to, to kind of give back this way? I can try. Um, I, I can say, first and foremost, it's just a very strong part of the company culture. Um, the people who founded PopCap believe very strongly in charity. Um, in fact, one of the company founders went to Africa and volunteered with Charity Water hands-on uh, just a few months ago. Um, so I think that a lot of that philosophy, you know, them being the first three employees, obviously, I think that's been carried very strongly throughout the company. We have people who part of their day-to-day -day mandate is to manage charitable efforts and to uh, organize opportunities for us to give back to communities, whether, you know, locally and globally. So it's, um, I've only been at PopCap for about two years and it's been a charitable company for a lot longer than that. Uh, in the time that I've been here, I've just come to recognize that it's consistent and we're doing different charitable efforts every single month uh, and always a few. So it's just something that allows us to be, um, it allows us to feel feel really good about what we're doing. We have really strong matching programs and we do a lot of uh, other efforts that don't necessarily catch the news, but we just do it because we can and it's uh, it makes us all feel really good. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about you personally. Uh, it's been fun being your Facebook friend and seeing you model all the, the vast collection of t-shirts that you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you have, uh, themed towards gaming and towards various characters in gaming. How did you collect this huge collection and, and why go through and, and pare them down at this point? Well, 
I think anyone that goes to enough gaming conventions is going to amass a collection of usually sized double XL gaming shirts that are usually atrocious <laughs> and uh, throwing them at you and they don't want to take no for an answer. So I ended up with a lot of gaming shirts there and then for a time uh, I couldn't help myself. I was on the internet buying any shirt I could that I thought was funny or clever. Um, but the fact of the matter is I don't wear t-shirts that often. <laughs> so I recently moved and I found a, uh, like a steamer trunk full of t-shirts that I never wear and I thought I need to get rid of these. And some of them I'm really attached to, but I think they don't fit or they're awful. And you know what? I'm just going to crowdsource my fashion decisions from now on. Because <laughs> if I was allowed to dress myself without any input, it would be awful. <laughs> so I just thought, as an excuse to force me to wear t-shirts for a month or whatever, I'd wear a t-shirt every day and take a photo of it. And mm -hmm. then I would just let the internet decide if I should keep it or not. Um, and generally, it turns out, I think that's been a good idea because all the shirts that I thought were awesome, nobody else agreed. <laughs> really? really? Hmm. Yeah. Although I did make some enemies. There are a bunch of people at 343 that are mad at me, a couple of my own coworkers <laughs> anymore. Oh, dear. Uh, because they're like, well, that got voted down. Like, why? I'm like, I gotta be fair. You know, the internet is a cruel metric. And if, if the shirt you gave me doesn't meet the bar that the internet sets, I don't know what to do about it. Uh, Fashion consensus to... said no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So the things we social media when we're looking for distraction. That's right. Yes. So are you a musician? I see a lot of uh, band associations involving your name as well. You seem to, you play? Um, I play a little bit and not well. I would never call myself a musician. I think I'm more like you might call, uh, if you're familiar with the term gourmand, mm -mm. Uh, it's someone who really likes to eat food. It's different than a gourmet because a okay. gourmet can make food. A gourmand is just like a professional eater in a different sense than someone who's in a hot dog eating competition. I really like music and I play a little bit uh, and I get involved where I can, but I'm, I'm by no means a musician. Okay. This leads me to my next topic, uh, things about you. You are listed uh, on LinkedIn as a game producer and this kind of segues me into the What Would Molly Do competition, which is what kind of caught my attention <laughs> a few months back, and I did end up playing the game. Um, I'm going to quote Kotaku here to explain to listeners what that is. Uh, what began as a tossed-off joke, Double Fine gameplay programmer Anna Kipnis has snowballed into one of the largest global game jams and was a huge success, uh, basically exploding into a global phenomenon. Hundreds of game developers got together worldwide and pooled their talents into 48 hours of taking goofy tweets of Peter Mullen. Molly Do, or Molyneux, I guess to technically he is. Which uh, Molly Do is the parody of the game developer Peter Molyneux, the real man. And these concepts uh, were made into prototype games. And I believe there were several gatherings around the world. And, and I think Peter Molyneux actually showed up to the one in London, if I recall. I think it was Guilford, but I'm wrong. Ah. So you, you were in the Seattle Jam, I understand, with your team? That's right. So tell me about that experience and, and creating Unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, so I've been a Peter Molyneux fan for a long time and I had the opportunity to interact with him a little bit when I was working at Xbox and he's every bit the awesome person that he's reputed to be. And, uh, when this fake Twitter account popped up a few years ago, making fun of his grandiose game design ideas, I thought it was really clever and I jumped on the bandwagon right away. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, some years later, uh, as Kotaku summarized, someone said, you know, these ideas are preposterous, but wouldn't it be fun to try a couple out? 
So when I got wind of that, I was one of hundreds of people, presumably, that said, oh, I wish I was in San Francisco and I would, I would come down for that game jam if I could get the time off work and fly down to San Francisco. Just, just like a 48-hour film festival. You lock yourself in a room and you just try to make a game that hopefully plays. Um, so I went to the one in Seattle and we had, I don't know, maybe 35 people in the room and we all just pitched game ideas and I wasn't expecting, uh, oh, and the game ideas of course come from his preposterous tweets. So I pitched an idea and I was fully expecting it to get punted and then I'd be running to get pizza for everyone because you don't really need a producer on a team of three <laughs> okay. in managing communication. Um, but my idea got picked uh, as one of the, the handful that we'd do in Seattle. So I ended up being a designer and a producer and uh, handling. I also decided because that wasn't enough, I would also do marketing efforts and make fake press releases and stuff like that. Because no one ever did that. We hired a community manager and outsourced art. Oh, wow. Sourcing just for fun. Um, just because I thought, well, these are, these are some of the things I can do while the engineers are actually making the game. So. The, the tweet that we based it on was, what if you were a bear that needed hugs for oxygen, but the problem is when you hug people, you crush their spines. And because everything is, and there were a couple other good games made based on that tweet. They were really funny. Uh, my friend made one where you're a bear in space and you need to steal like oxygen tanks from people. But I decided to go really overwrought with it and make it a metaphor for the human condition in which you always hurt the ones you love. And uh, the, the message of the game was that if you go around hugging people, you kind of destroy the earth, you don't meet a balance with your ecology around you, and then you die horrible and alone. And the only way to actually win the game is to make the humans love you by doing weird actions that don't seem to help, like riding a tricycle around them or giving them... Unfortunately, the tutu you could dance in, we had to cut. Um, but eventually, one of them might come up and give you a hug, which doesn't break their spine. And In an overwrought, poorly executed Peter Molyneux fashion, the game barely hurts. <laughs> but it was to talk about than play. <laughs> I loved it. it. Peter mauling but you. That's horrible. Yeah, we made a Twitter account for Peter mauling you, mm -hmm. and that was our main character. And then he had a, a like a uh, an imposter Peter mauling you account, which was the version of the bear. So yeah, we we definitely got really meta with it, and it ended up uh, it ended up getting a big article in PC Gamer. So yes, yes. Is it so, possible to still get that game? Does it exist anywhere? It does. It exists there, but I think, honestly, I need to get back in touch with the engineers because something about it broke. Uh -huh. So it, it run on PC, and uh, it runs using the um, XNA developer kit, but you can just download. It comes as like a 50 megabyte file uh, with the XNA developer kit, which is free. It just runs as an executable on your computer, but someone told me that the binary broke a couple weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> so... Uh, Recompile and upload it again. <laughs> so soon you openmod.com site. Well, now you have to fix it because I feel like a horrible person. I just basically ran around killing everyone until the whole world was empty, and then I just felt sad and quit. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize that you could get them to love you. Well, it's a hidden ending. Like we we gave very little UI indication that there was an emotional meter or anything. The world actually gets darker and the birds turn into like whistling wind and everything becomes desaturated because you're a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> oh, I thought, well, wow, that was depressing, but yet really, really cute. So that's, but now I see there's a point you can actually you can add four different things. Hmm. I have to replay it once you fix the binary. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like being locked in a room with uh, these three other people kind of under the, under the gun of time trying to get this done? It was awesome. 
although we were all in one facility, um, I remember the name of it. Uh, if you go to seattlemollyjam.com, there was a local technical and art institute uh, in, um, I should be giving these guys props, in Sutton Lake Union that allowed us to use their computer laboratory with a bunch of hardware and like Unity was installed on a bunch of computers already. Um, and we got licenses to use all this software. So there were actually about 30 people in the room for 48 hours broken out into teams. Wow. Um, and it was, it was intensely fun. Uh, some of us, probably three quarters of the people did go home for at least three or four hours to sleep. Other people slept in the room. I took the advantage to take a few hours nap and a shower. Um, but it was really, really fun to meet a lot of people. And th there were some people who were really fantastic that I would be really happy to work with. Like there was one guy who came in and composed the music for every game that we all did. And he did that in about a day. And he really did music for our game. I thought he did a great job with all these other games. Hmm, that's that's some creativity and on demand <laughs> on demand creativity. Huh, that's fun. Alright. I have to ask, since you've worked extensively with Xbox Live, um, basically running the community for a little while, there's been a lot of I guess back and forth uh in the news considering uh, misogyny in gaming and a lot of the, the stories that are coming out right now, and having Xbox Live kind of be pointed out as as a very trade chat community at times. Uh, how did you find working with Xbox Live, and would you say it's changed over the years from um, your experience working with it, or or is that kind of over-media, uh, over-mediated? Do you, do you feel, let me ask, um, are we talking specifically about issues of misogyny or aggression on Xbox Live from users, or? Yes, pretty much. Um, you know, honestly, I'm not the best person to answer that question. The way that I got to interact with the community, I was pretty spoiled. I got to interact with the best and brightest of community and help them reach out through the dash to other people. So, okay, so um, not forums per se, or I didn't moderate the forums. I wasn't on the enforcement team. I didn't have to deal with a lot of that. Um, okay. I mean, obviously, there would be the occasional griefer that would pop into an event or something like that. Um, the, the, perhaps the worst of those uh, experiences for me was I was working with, um, she now writes for Kotaku, uh, Lisa Foyles, who was a blogger at the time, and I convinced her to do an event on the, on the dashboard. And she got to write an article about that. And one of the first things was someone sending a very badly typed, show me your bodies. Text. <laughs> <laughs> those policemen. <laughs> so, I mean, I got to interact with that a little bit, and of course that's bad when you're, you know, you're working with celebrities or whatever, and you're, you're getting them to interact with the audience. Inevitably, there's going to be a couple griefers, but for the most part, in my limited experience, I was really spoiled. I got to deal with really, really excellent people who were genuinely excited to be playing with whoever they got to, whether it was developers or celebrities or anything like that. Um, I'm sure if you talk to someone on the enforcement team, they'd probably have a better barometer of the number of complaints and if it's changed in the last five years or something, I'm not sure. Okay, well, I'm glad you didn't have to deal with that aspect. That's, that's excellent. Um, Playing Uno with Xbox Live Vision cameras, so that can't be a bad thing. <laughs> something to ask. Uh, in PopCap's future, it seems like a lot of companies are turning their eye towards the social and Facebook games, and I've heard it projected, and that's kind of the direction that gaming is going to move in and expand extremely in the next few years. It's been called the new frontier of gaming. Do you think that all this competition is going to change anything at PopCap? Do you, how do you think that's going to affect, perhaps it'll be a good thing, how do you think that's going to affect the future of games that you guys create? Well, I think that that is very much true, but I think that the prevailing winds have shifted in the last 12 months. 
Okay. Um, so I think that uh, it's my opinion, and I think I'm probably aligned relatively well with the, the the lead thinkers of PopCap. That it's actually you know Facebook as a platform is currently a little bit tapped out. There's still a lot of opportunity there. You can have great games. There's going to be a lot of fun, but it's not going to have the same sort of explosive growth that it used to before. You know, Zynga's down forty percent on their stock prices. Um, it's just because as a platform, you, you can't get free growth anymore. It's very expensive to get new users and that sort of thing. I think what a lot of people are starting to see is that the future, it seems, is in uh, mobile games. That's not to say that those can't be social as well. So socially connected mobile games like, for instance, um, Bejewel Blitz on your iPhone connected to Facebook hmm. is something that we're finding really, really good success with. Um, and you know, uh, so much so that it's proving to be, you know, as successful or maybe even more successful than, you know, the standalone paid Bejeweled app. Um, so I think that it really depends not only uh, the sociality of a game is very important, but we're also finding, obviously, that there's a big shift towards, you know, mobile spaces with the, with the adoption of smartphones and the adoption of tablets. And PopCap has always been very strong in the mobile space. Uh, um, before I came on with the company, they were doing fantastic with mobile games using those, you know, nine key T9 phones and things like that. So I think for PopCap, that's actually really driving at a core competency that we have. The other big shift that we're seeing is that uh, they call them freemium games, games that you can download for free, and if you want extra content or something like that, you pay. Um, those games are really what the public wants right now. Nobody really wants to download an $8 game and hope they like it. Um, so people are kind of voting with their wallets and downloading free games and then deciding either to donate $2 to disable the ads or mm-hmm. they're looking microtransactions, that sort of thing. So that that's what the public wants right now, and I think PopCap is aware of it. And We've had uh, a bunch of articles published about that, and a couple of our games started to look at going that direction. You know, obviously, Visual Blitz is a pretty strong example. Um, culturally, I don't think that much changed. A couple of years ago, there was an entirely new department built out for social games based on the surprise success of Visual Blitz. Um, but that's been around for a while, and we really, we, we're starting to feel, as much as anyone does, I don't think anyone can say they really know what they're doing in the social space yet, but I think that, um, you know, uh, we know a great deal more than we used to, and it doesn't feel like the unknown anymore. Very good. What do you think about Google Plus? I find myself kind of torn there. Um, you know, as, as a social media, if I want to use it or not, um, and I understand that there's a lot of restrictions involving gaming uh, on Google Plus. Do you f- find that somewhere that you think uh, games will grow? in that direction, or do you think that's pretty much a locked out market? Well, I don't think you can ever count Google out, but uh, Google Plus as a platform isn't growing. Um, And I don't, although it's got a good number of users right now, I don't necessarily see it as being wildly successful or being very actively used by people, Hmm. Um, which frankly, you know, personally as a consumer, I'm a little sad about, Um, uh, although I think that the, the fact of the matter is, and this is now me just spitballing as a consumer, I think that they got into social spaces after everybody already made too heavy an investment into Facebook. You know, people might have been sad to abandon their MySpace. They spent so much time getting the background right on, but they really hadn't that fully invested in building up this social network, which is a bunch of, usually a bunch of strangers connected that you could migrate over to Facebook relatively easily, or people were just happy to cut. I think people invested so heavily into Facebook that it was a much more difficult transition for Google to ask people to do. Um, and when the platform's not growing, it's difficult for games to grow. There are still people releasing games for Google+. Um, we recently announced that we're going to sunset our copy of Bejeweled Blitz on Google+, which we tried out. 
and ultimately we decided we're not going to support anymore. So okay. I think they, you know, you never count Google out, but uh, I think that they've still got a couple things to figure out in terms of really driving game developer interest there. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see some of their innovative designs, like the, the circles and some of the things that they do use on Google+. Plus. I guess Facebook would acquire them would be excellent. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. People are just very invested in Facebook and it's hard to, to make that transition and then repost everything twice. <laughs> for those impatiently waiting for Plants vs. Zombies 2, <laughs> it seems that this week there's been some light on the horizon, which uh, PVZ presents Talking Zombatar, which I read about this week. It seems to be an app where you can get your own pet zombie and dress him and love him and like you said call him george but unfortunately <laughs> you have to wait a whole maybe year there's not a projected date on this so what about your rabbit fans asking for plants vs zombies too i don't actually have much to say about that other than check out talking zombatar it's a ton of fun <laughs> <laughs> when will we be able to play this i also don't really i actually don't know the answer to that question okay. uh i've got an idea in my head but um that's not really I'm not working with that particular franchise that much. Okay. I can uh, say it's kind of fun, though. <laughs> You're a tease now. So, what can we look for um, from PopCap this year? What can we, what can we be expecting and waiting for? Do you have anything uh, new coming down the pike that you can share with us? Well, um, I don't have anything new that I can share with you. But another thing that was recently announced was a mobile version of Solitaire Blitz. Uh, so, for fans of that game, uh, there might be the opportunity to. Uh, experience that on a new medium. Um, otherwise, all I can say is uh, I can't think of a year in which PopCap hasn't released really awesome stuff. Okay, very good. We have a question from the chat room, and I think you asked you answered this a little bit. They asked if you had anything to do with Plants vs. Zombies appearing in World of Warcraft was the first question. Uh, and You said you don't really have any association with Plants vs. Zombies. I work with them a little bit in uh, my capacity as a you know cross promotions manager, but they don't really have a social online game right now. Um, so I actually didn't have anything to do with PVZ getting into World of Warcraft because that was just shortly after I started here, and I was just pleasantly surprised to find out about it as anyone else. I have to say I didn't play the the original game until I did that quest in World of Warcraft, and I said this is really neat, and they said oh duh that's Plants vs Zombies, and I said okay I need to check that out now. Now I have my singing flower pet that runs around behind me. <laughs> Second question. Uh, now that You may have answered this too. Now that PopCap is with EA, what sort of other games would you like to see integrated with products overseas on a social basis? Overseas? Maybe that you oversee on a social basis. That's what he's trying to say. That's, uh, that's a really good question that I don't have a great answer on the tip of my tongue. I guess I've been really focused on what we're working on right now, and I, I personally, in my capacity, am not uh, navel-gazing too much. Uh, I really wanted to see what we'd be able to do if we got our, uh, the opportunity to work with any of the you know, um, beloved franchises like uh, Monopoly or Battleship. And uh, you know, we got to relatively quickly um, put out a couple of different you know, themed slot machines in the Lucky Gem Casino that I was pretty happy with. Um, but I guess you could say that that creative itch already got scratched. I'll have to think about it a little bit more. Okay. Have you noticed a rise in players in a game depending on what movies are in the theater? I wondered about this. Like if Battleship comes out, does everyone suddenly want to play the game? Or if uh, you know there's an Ocean's 13, does everyone suddenly get interested in casino games? Do you notice a tie between between those two things? 
you know, I can't say firsthand for PopCap games, if that's the case, but the only example I can think of off the top of my head is, you know, people mention Plants vs. Zombies in a popular television show. Do we see a boost in usage or anything like that? Off the top of my head, not really. Obviously, um, you know, the Battleship movie came out around the same time as the Battleship slot, I imagine, came out. Mm. Uh, Lucky Jam Casino. But because they came out at the same time, I couldn't really see it before or after. Um, although I do know that for other industries, especially with something that's a direct movie tie-in, obviously, being able to piggyback on the marketing effort and the brand awareness that goes with a major movie release is a big deal. Okay. I've seen a small teaser about a PAX party that you're in the process of announcing <laughs> or planning. Is there anything you can uh, tell us about that this year? And what actually uh, happens at these parties? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the last couple of years, I decided to throw a shindig. Um, the first year was at my house, so relatively, um, relatively intimate affair um, that inevitably spirals, spirals wildly out of my ability to maintain and constrain as a reasonable event. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an industry mixer on the Thursday night before PAX, and this year is coming together kind of at the last minute because. It's something I fund personally, and uh, the space that I was going to be using, the same space from last year, if anyone was there, um, is just asking for a lot more money this time around. So I wasn't 100% certain if I'd be able to do it. I've never wanted corporate sponsors. Um, I've always had you know donations at the door to help me cover costs and that sort of thing. So I kind of needed to very carefully look at things, uh, and some people were made some very generous offers to help support the party. So I am going to now be scrambling for the next four weeks to try to make sure that we get the party going, but uh, should be a killer art show. Again, last year we had uh, a number of world-famous artists, um, one of the lead artists from uh, Diablo 3, and uh, his name is Braum. Uh, we also had a bunch of people that appeared in Diablo 3, uh, or a person that appeared in Diablo 3 a couple of times, I should say. She was the demon hunter, uh, as well as the monk. Um, and a number of other talented artists who work in the game industry were there. So we're going to have them there. I'm hoping there'll be prints available for people to purchase to help support the party. There'll be live music. There'll be food. Uh, there'll be a bunch of stuff going on. It is, uh, eventually I will have a place for people to go and donate or learn more about the party. It's set up as an industry mixer, so it's not uh, necessarily open to the public. But for people who uh, live, eat, and breathe video games and contribute in the community in a substantive way, I'm always willing to take a look and see if they kind of fit the bill. Trick with something like PAX is if you throw an event and it's open, uh, there's always the possibility that 10,000 people will show up. Right. <laughs> that would be unfortunate for your security deposit. Let's put it this way. It's a way for a bunch of people who spent the last three days setting up booths and going frantically mad trying to get everything lined up for PAX to go and relax and be happy so that when the general public talks to everybody, they're talking to much happier people. <laughs> That's a good marketing strategy right there. So I have to ask, for someone who is so involved in the technological world and uh, has to have the finger on so many various public pulses, uh, I find it interesting that you kind of completely unplug in the sense that you don't really have, like, internet access or, you know, like, some of the more people consider this necessary uh hardware what what is the explanation with that you just like to totally separate what, what what's going on with that i guess that's part of it i was just catching shit about this from a coworker <laughs> earlier today uh, so yeah i don't have internet access at home um and part of the reason is that you know i used to tether to my phone um i needed to be able to work mobily quite a lot um but another part of the reason is in my previous home um 
cable internet provider who shall remain unnamed had to send, I think, 16 or 17 different cable installers to my house over two years. I was on the phone with them. I charted it for a few months, more than an hour every single month, arguing over my bill. And it just came to be the point where uh, it came to the point where having internet access at home was a giant chore, yet it was a necessity for what I did for a living when I was at Xbox Live. So I came to become very frustrated um, with home internet access. And when I no longer absolutely needed it, I just did not feel the excitement to go through the entire ordeal again. If I really need internet access, I'll either use my smartphone or I will go across the street and eat a slice of pizza and smooch in the pizza place. Some people prefer the sanctuary of not having, you know, the constant. So I can understand that. I'm sorry you get I, shit for it. For a little while I was mooching internet access and I was really enjoying Battlefield 3. Um, but... Uh, it's not to say that I wouldn't be happy to have internet access at home. I just don't think I really want to bother getting it set up. Ah, uh, we'll see. Maybe Google will come to your area and you can decide if that's good for you. <laughs> Hopefully some soon. <laughs> All right. Is there anything you'd like to say? We're getting ready to close here. Uh, well, I, I would very much like to extend my apologies for the uh, <laughs> remainder of the technical difficulties I had the last time we attempted to set up a podcast. Somehow it managed to disable my microphone and was also... Um, suckered into being late, let's just say, in the first place. So thank you very much for your patience and for asking me to be on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure to have you on. A big thank you to Avery, and you can find him on Twitter at A Very Close Call. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to GenesisGray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. And please subscribe if you like the channel. <laughs>